again. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 1, 19 through 25. The Word of God says, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to shew thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them, and remained speechless. And it came to pass that, as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. You may be seated. Thank you. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and the receiving of his word this morning. We have been looking at a couple who are righteous in the sight of God. They have trusted the promises of God. This couple was living life, believing that the Messiah would come. They also knew about the forerunner of the Messiah, who that we know as John the Baptist. They were looking for these people in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. They knew the Messiah was coming, and they knew some things about His coming, so they were looking for these people, the forerunner of the Messiah and the Messiah himself, but they did not think they would be directly involved, especially at their age. We looked at this last time. And it is a sad truth that we can believe the promises of God concerning the return of the Lord, you and I, today. We know He's coming back, don't we? The Word of God says He's coming back. But we become complacent in our looking for His return. And we can find ourselves going through the motions. We can find ourselves letting things slip in our lives as we, in our walk with the Lord. Such as our prayer time, our study time, and our commitment to Him and doing His will, and even sharing the gospel. How many times have we said, oh, there'll be another opportunity to share the gospel with that person, and it not come? We can become complacent in our living and our serving for Him. This doesn't mean that we will be in open, known sin, but we end up just going through the motions in our daily walk, not truly seeking the Lord and not truly longing, not just looking, but longing for His return, saying, Christ, come back and catch us away. 
We know Christ is coming back. We know that, don't we? But we tend to think that that will not happen in our lifetime. Our excitement about these truths begin to wane. You know, if we are excited about something, we are not apt to, uh, or I should say, we are apt to dwell on it. If we're excited about something, it's the abundance of our heart, and we'll talk about it. We'll share these things with others. How many people do y'all know are wrapped up in politics? When you get around, that's all they talk about is politics or sports. You get around them, that's all they talk about is sports. The stats on this, the stats on that, and the, the, this team and that team, and they're, they're just surrounded by it. Or hunting. If you talk to someone who really hunts, when you ask them what they killed, you better have some time to think about it or some time to sit there and listen because they're going to give you every... Man, he come around that tree and he stopped and the wind was blowing out of the east and how I am, I'm upwind from him. Boy, I'm glad I put that stuff on my clothes, my scent lock. Man, about the time I pulled back on that bow, he looked up at me. Oh, I had to freeze. For five minutes, I held that bow back. You lying joker. It may have seemed like five minutes, but it was five seconds. Can you picture him holding that bow back? <laughs> Trying to hold it. Not happening, is it? The point I'm making is that when the, whatever is the abundance of our heart, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to share with others. So ask yourself this question. How often in this past week have you shared Jesus with somebody? Amen. How, how often this past week have you sought for the Lord to come back in your prayers? And even just driving down the road saying, Lord, come on back. See, the point I'm making is that we can easily get distracted by things around us. We can get distracted by life in general and things in this world. And I, I think something else would help us is that it would do us good to remember what kind of people we were when Jesus Christ saved our souls. And to think about the grace of God in saving sinners. I don't like to live in the past. I don't even like to bring the past up. Uh, but it does me good sometimes to remember where I was at and what I was doing when Jesus Christ interrupted my life and save my soul. To remember at what depths of sin that I was in. Not to glory in these sins, not to boast in these sins, but to say, Lord, thank you for saving a sinner such as me. How wonderful is that? Let's get to our text today. In our text today, we see the angel Gabriel was sent to Zacharias to bring him these glad tidings about a son. And we understand and we see as we read that Zacharias did not believe, did he? And because of his unbelief, he was made dumb. Look at verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. This word dumb means he was not able to speak. 
If you flip over to uh, verses 61 and 63 of chapter 1, once John is born, and we'll get here later, obviously. Verse 61, And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. What name is that? The name of John. And they, notice this, made signs to his father how he would have him called. So they didn't talk to him. They made signs to him. And he asked for a writing table by sign, obviously, and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. So according to verses 61 and 63, it seems as if he was not able to hear either. Couldn't talk and couldn't hear. This dialogue with the angel Gabriel is going on inside the temple at the altar of incense while he was doing his priestly duty. Zacharias went into this temple as a normal man. He stayed in the temple longer than they usually stay, and when he came out, he could not speak or hear. This is not what Zacharias was expecting, nor is it what the people outside of the temple were expecting. Look at verses 21 and 22. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled, notices that he tarried so long in the temple. They knew the routine. They knew how much time it would take for him to go in and sprinkle this incense on the altar of incense and make his round and come back out. And he was in there longer than what was supposed to be in there. There was even a point where tradition says they would tie a rope onto the high priest as they went into the Holy of Holies for fear that he would die. And then they could drag him out. Can you imagine the people saying, did he try to go in that... Behind that veil? What's Zacharias doing in there? Verse 22, And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Notice the Bible says he remained speechless. For the rest of the time that Zacharias was at the temple performing his duties, he was speechless. And according to the Bible, in verse 23, as soon as he was finished, he went home. He went home and to go see Mrs. Zacharias, Elizabeth. In verse 24 and 25, and after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. We see Elizabeth here, she was cautiously excited about being pregnant. Why would she hide herself out for five months? Good question to ask here, isn't it? The Bible's not specific on the answer, but understand this. It could be she was concerned with having a miscarriage. And she did not want the people to think she was just saying she was pregnant, especially at her age. She was old. Well stricken in years is what Zechariah said. It could be she praised God for five months. 
Look at verse 25 again. It says, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein He looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Go back to verses 6 and 7. It says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Verse 7 says, And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. Again, in the sight of God, they were righteous. The Lord has saved their souls. But in the sight of mankind, in the sight of men, they were not. Simply because they had not had any children. In the eyes of men, verse 25 says, they were a reproach among men. The word reproach in verse 25 means a taunt or disgrace. People are quick to judge by their own standards. And people are quick to judge by looking at the outward. And they were quick to judge Elizabeth and say that her and Zacharias were unspiritual because they had no children. And there are those who want to appear a certain way in front of people, so they try to live up to a certain standard to acquire that recognition. Y'all know people like that. They try to have the latest and the greatest to fit in, to be accepted with those around them. Before long they find themselves head over heels in debt. On the flip side of that, you may have an ugly vehicle which means that you may very well drive a Chevrolet. <laughs> or your home may not be the latest and the greatest. So others view you as a disgrace. They say, look at that poor person over there. Look at what they drive. Look how, how or what they live in. Obviously, God's not with them or they would have better. And that's not true. I remember there was a time that uh, and even in the ministry that we didn't have anything, Tori and I. We had very little. I walked to church because we had one vehicle and I leave it at the house for Toya to come with the kids later on that day or that evening or that morning. I'd walk to church. In my suit. I'm not trying to seek sympathy. I'm stating facts here, okay? You know, in the summertime, when you're wearing a suit, it's hot. Southeast Louisiana. Then the Lord blessed, and we were able to get a motorcycle. My brother had one. He's going to sell. I said, look, can I pay you on time? Notes. He said, sure. So I got a motorcycle. Man, that was great. That was great. He even gave me a helmet. Couldn't afford a helmet. Even left it on his insurance. I couldn't afford to put insurance on it. And listen, motorcycle insurance is not expensive. Rode that thing, rain or shine, that was my ride. Okay. Well, lo and behold, ended up giving that away. And then I, I was given a, I know this is low, but I was given an old Chevrolet. <laughs> God humbles people, doesn't he? And this truck, had one owner, and that one owner was rough on this truck. 
It had dents all in it. It was named the Gray Ghost because they don't know how it was even still going. But it was my truck. It was given to me. And we, we did a lot of work in subdivisions. I mean, some of these subdivisions are high-class subdivisions. I'd be driving to a subdivision. It's just a habit for me to wave at people. Hey, I'm from the country. You wave about everybody. And as I'd go by, the people would see me coming. By the time I get there, when it's time to wave, they turn their head. I said, you sorry joker. Whether it's because I was in a Chevy or the old, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, it was the truck was beat up. Well, we kept going and the Lord blessed again and we were able, was able to get another truck, a Ford. And it was more modern. And it come from a guy who kept his vehicles, I'm talking about, perfect. Matter of fact, I went and picked it up. I said, you better take a picture of it. He said, why? I said, because it will never be this clean again. With the inside of the outside, he said, what? I said, I'm telling you, man. I drove through those same subdivisions in that truck, and those same people, when I went by, they'd wave at me. And again, I said, you sorry jokers. Here I was in a busted up truck, going in and out of the subdivision, they wouldn't even wave at me. Here I come in with this new shiny truck, with a sticker on the back for some type of shades. I don't even know what kind of shades it was. I didn't have a razor blade to get it off at the time. And they waving at me. The point I'm making is that they were making judgments by what they saw. They were making judgments according to their own standards, according to what they saw on the outward. And the same thing during the days of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the people looked at them and judged them to be unworthy, judged them to be a reproach among men, among mankind, because they had no children. Yet in the eyes of God, they were righteous. They were righteous. Man's, man would say, look at that disgraceful couple. God said, look at my faithful servant. Aren't you thankful that God had a plan from before the foundation of the world and that plan was not influenced by man's opinions or man's standards? Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were serving God not for what He had given them, but for who He is. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Whether we have much or little in the eyes of this world, that doesn't matter. We should not be going around trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths and find ourselves in deep debt. No, we should be serving our God. Why? Not for what He gives us, but because of who He is. He is worthy to serve. And they served Him. We do not know what Elizabeth's response was to Zacharias when he got home. We don't know her response when he immediately communicated to her what happened in the temple. But in verse 25, we see her praising God. Praising God. The angel Gabriel specifically said that they would have a son. 
No beating around the bush. He also describes what their son will do. And how God will view their son. Look at verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt call his name John. The, the angel was specific, John. After being made dumb by the angel, I don't think there was any doubt in Zacharias' mind that they would name him anything else but John. John defined means Jehovah is a gracious giver. A gracious giver. Verse 15 goes on to say, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Notice again, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. The emphasis is again on how God sees us. Folks, we have got to stop trying to impress mankind. If we're trying to impress mankind continually, man is full of opinions and we'll find ourselves going crazy. We need not to impress God, but to live and serve Him, to be obedient to the Lord. Look at the word great here in verse 15. For He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. It's the Greek word megas. This word has a very wide application. It is exceedingly great, greatest, high, large, loud, mighty, sore, sore, afraid, strong. It even pertains to great years. So we have to ask this question, what does it mean to be great in the sight of the Lord? We have part of this answer in verse 15. It says, For he shall neither... He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So at the beginning of verse 15, we kind of see some parts of the Nazarite vow that you can find in Numbers chapter 6. I'm not going there this morning. You can go there and read it. But this is someone who is holy, set aside for the service of the Lord. A bad Old Testament example would be Samson. A good Old Testament example would be Samuel. Someone who is great in the sight of the Lord is someone who loves God and who loves what God loves and hates what God hates. This stems from a love for God more than anything and anyone else. Turn with me to... 1 John chapter 2. It is amazing how this world has influenced us. It's amazing how our culture in America has indoctrinated us. To where we accept things that we should not be accepting. To where we glory in things we should not be glorying in. And we find ourselves loving things that we should not be loving. Look at verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John's at the back of your Bible, right in front of the book of Revelation, or a few books in front of it. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 15. 
The Word of God says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If any man love the world, notice this, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty harsh. If it's your desire to have worldly things, worldly things, this, that, and the other, if it's your desire to impress the world by whatever it may be, uh, to impress men, to be accepted of the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. At this point, you really need to examine yourself. Because the Word of God says you're lost. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father or is not from the Father, but is of the world. Listen, folks, this world's got glitter and glamour and it, it attracts us. If you want to sell something, like a vehicle, what's the first thing you do? You clean it up. You wash it. Or you may hire someone else to wash it. You may have it detailed. Why? Because people buy something off of appearance. Man, look at those rims. That thing shines. Let's get a picture from this angle. That looks good. You can put... Lipstick on a pig, too. You know that. The things of this world, we are always fighting against with our flesh. Our flesh likes it. Our flesh is drawn to it. But all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, it is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth for ever. We ought to love God more than anything and anyone else. We even love God more than religious activities, duties, and traditions. In Philippians chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. This is Paul talking about the confidence he could have in his flesh. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of which is in the law, blameless. Where is Paul that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees? He looked good in the eyes of men. People would see him come and say, man, look at that man. He's religious. 
He is going above and beyond all those around Him. These things would give Him great gain in the world system. He would move up the ladder, we could say. He would be lavish with gifts, money, prestige, power, popularity. He could have all that. But look in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yeah, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but what? Dung. All these things that people are striving for that they think will make them happy. Surely when I get this degree, surely when I move up the ladder here, I'll be happy. I will find fulfillment. And Paul said all those things, I count it but dung, rubbish. He says this, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. And we'll stop there in Philippians. When we look at John the Baptist who would be born of Zacharias and Elizabeth, when we look at Paul, we see two people who loved and served the Lord even unto death. Even unto death. Who they preached to? Everybody. It didn't matter if they were great or small in the eyes of men, in the eyes of Paul, in the eyes of John the Baptist, and in the eyes, listen, and in the eyes of people throughout the ages who truly love Jesus Christ, they would preach the gospel to everybody. Where the small and the great in the eyes of men, they proclaim the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, help us that you and I would have that desire and that longing and that our love would be overflowing abundantly that when we see people, we don't judge them from their outward appearance, but that we would see them and passionately and with compassion proclaim the gospel. Whether they are great, or small in the eyes of men. We sure do put a lot of stock in man, don't we? Oh, look, there is this person, and they have a lot of money, and, and they are very successful. Oh, Mr. So-and-so. And there we go. No. Mr. So-and-so, if the Lord Jesus Christ has not saved your soul, you're headed for a devil's hell. 
So I beg you to flee, to turn from your sinfulness. Turn from it and turn to Jesus Christ. Trust Him alone to save your soul. That that would be considered hate speech today in our culture. Because people are so soft today. Oh, you hurt my feelings. It's going to get to the point to where when we preach the gospel, we will be thrown in jail for it. We will be persecuted for it. In America today, it's light persecution, very light. Only because our laws forbid it. If people could understand this, if the law allowed them to, this place would be burnt to the ground with us in it. Because people love darkness rather than light. No matter what's going on, what do we do? We preach the gospel. The Bible goes on to say that John the Baptist, back in the book of Luke, would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be influenced by and supplied by the Holy Spirit. This person is fitted and qualified by the Holy Spirit. This is the description of John the Baptist given to us by the Scriptures in his mother's womb. You know, in the eyes of people, let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 3, in the eyes of people, John the Baptist looked rough. In the eyes of people, surely John the Baptist, just by his looks, would not be the forerunner of Christ. He would not be the one heralding forth. He would not be the one preparing the way. In Matthew 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And saying, look what he preached, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment, notice this, of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. He didn't look very appealing, did he? He wasn't up there in a white jacket. He wasn't even wearing a suit and a tie. And I'm not here to preach on clothing, okay? I wear suits and ties, that's my convictions. In the eyes of the world, he would have been ridiculed. But in the eyes of God, the Bible says he was what? Great. Let's keep reading. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. And for I say unto you that God is able to, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. John the Baptist today would be despised. 
and rejected by men. The message he preached today would be despised and rejected by most churches. But in the eyes of God, John the Baptist would be great. Again, he preached to small and great. He preached the same thing. He was not influenced by man's social status in either direction. He preached the gospel, and it cost him his life. It cost him his life. Yet he was faithful. Our God is worthy to serve. Our God is good. It was John the Baptist's responsibility by God, given to him by God, to make a people prepared for the Lord. This word prepared means to, to construct. And this is done, this construction is done by instructing and informing. And it's, it's instruction and informing accurately what the Word of God says. He went preaching in the spirit and power of Elijah in verse 17. Many of the people shall return to the Lord their God. Shall he turn here, this is in a moral sense, to turn upon or convert unto. Not him, but God using the man preaching God's message. What, what was wrong with the people during that day? Were, weren't they religious? Yeah, they were religious. They were wrapped up in the religion of their day. They were blinded by the traditions. And when John the Baptist showed up on the scene, he shocked them into reality. He preached the Word. And there were multitudes of people who thought they were right with God. Because they went through the religious system. The traditions, they knew them. Listen, they knew the Word of God. They knew the first five books of the Bible. Every word. They knew about God. They knew about the coming Messiah. They knew about all these things. But they had not trusted those promises given to them by the Word of God. They were looking for a different Jesus than what was coming. They were looking for a different Messiah. They were looking for one to come on a white horse and conquer Rome and conquer the world for Israel. They were not looking for one to come to deliver them from their sins.